Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the program. It's such a sad day today. Uh, We're picking up the pieces from yesterday's Valentine's Day shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where 17 students were killed and numerous injured. Uh, Yesterday was also the 10th anniversary, anniversary of the Valentine's Day shooting at Northern Illinois University, where five people were killed and 17 injured before the assailant killed himself. To help us understand active shooting, mass casualty events, and the grieving process following such a traumatic event, my guests today are licensed professional counselor, Linda Bazogany, and safety and security expert and president of SSI Guardian, Michael Yorio. And they'll provide insights into what happened yesterday, as well as vital information on active shooter response, emotional and psychological recovery, and even anniversary effects that can occur years after the original tragedy. If you'd like to join the conversation, call us at 303-477-5600. But first, today's show is brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard on advanced safety education training. To learn more about SSI Guardian, go to ssiguardian.com. Well, you know, since Columbine, uh, the FBI has identified 220 active shooting incidents between 2000 and 2016 with 48 of those occurring in educational settings. And we're seeing all kinds of uh, statistics on even just here in the first couple months of 2018. Um, And as we commemorated the 10th anniversary of the Valentine's Day shooting at Northern Illinois University yesterday, there was another, another shooting at a high school in Parkland, Florida. And there's so many parallels in these two horrific events. And my guest today will help us understand what happened and the effect that these incidents have on survivors, witnesses, and loved ones. And Michael Yorio is with us by phone from Florida. He's an experienced security expert and president of SSI Guardian. And I'm proud to have SSI Guardian as a sponsor of this show. We're committed to providing accurate information on staying safe at home, at school, at work, and at play, and creating a 21st century safe school. Michael Yorio, thanks for being back with us again, and unfortunately under such tragic circumstances. Welcome to the program. Hi, Dr. Peggy. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you, but yes, a very, very sad day. Um, for your callers who don't know, uh, I actually live in South Florida, uh, not too far, about 40 minutes from Parkland. So um, this really hits home, and it's just another very, very sad and tragic event. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing so many people talking about how we've become uh-huh. desensitized to these, but this is your line of work. Uh, this is your life's work. And so especially when it hits so close to home, um, it's still very raw. Um, I I don't think, I I hope I'll never get desensitized to this. Uh, What can you tell us about what happened uh, yesterday in your home state? And I've heard some of those comments, and there's certainly a great deal of validity behind that um, train of thought. Um, However, if you talk to the victims, if you see the communities, uh, I promise you no one is um, desensitized from um, the awful event that has happened. Um, it's really a tough one. So, I mean, th- this event, um, as you know, and I've done some reports, uh, I was actually there last night. We broadcasted live uh, late last night from the 
site. And th- this event is kind of a textbook um, school shooting in, in my professional opinion. What I mean by that is there were numerous signs, numerous warning signs uh, that this individual uh, had some serious um, serious threat risk, I would say. Um, he was expelled from school, but just a few months ago. So one narrative we're hearing out there, he was a former student, which those of you um, who have heard our show before understand that 95% of school shooters are committed by students. Uh, this was a former student. However, he was only a few months removed from the school due to expulsion. Mm-hmm. Uh, very disturbing social media presence. Um, as they interview students who, who knew this young person, um, numerous comments were made that they really weren't that surprised that he would do something like this one day. Wow. So you're, you're calling it a, a textbook case um, of a school shooting that there were some recognizable signs, um, some concerns uh, about this student prior to him being expelled. Uh, perhaps that's why he was expelled. They're kind of not giving us all the information, I guess, because of privacy concerns. Um, but um, talk about um, how the school responded in terms of if there's a textbook uh, response. Um, so not so much a critique of how they did, but what did they do? How did they respond, and what can we learn from that? What I've seen, um, there there was a semblance of training at that school. Some students commented about being on lockdown and hiding, um, there were also some reports of a difficulty in communications, which, quite frankly, is has become commonplace during the parent-student reunification process. Um, involved a special needs student that they, they couldn't get a hold of. So it's, these things are challenging. Um, textbook in the case, let me clarify that. Textbook in the case that there were signs and, and this, this person was bullied, and we know that bullying is the number one attributing factor school shooting. So in that case, yes, um, but he survived. Uh, More often than not, the attacker does not survive. So law enforcement will have the opportunity um, to investigate the suspect and glean as much information as they possibly can to better understand this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and maybe there is something that we don't understand uh, about this individual uh, that may uh, help us with future incidents. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, we know that many of the attackers will commit suicide or, or, or wait for law enforcement to arrive and uh, have suicide by cops, so to speak, or the suspect is shot and taken out to, to neutralize the threat. And so you're right, they're not always around for us to find out why did they do this? What's the motive? What's the thinking behind it? There's been some talks about mental health concerns, and again, we want to uh, wait until we hear from the experts on really what was going on with him. I'm always quick to remind uh, my listeners that uh, most people with mental illness do not commit violent acts, and most violent acts are committed by people without mental illness. And someone with a mental illness is more likely to be a victim of a crime than a perpetrator of a crime. And yet we do see when we um, uh, have these uh, common occurrences of these uh, uh, violent attacks that there's a, a uh, element of uh, mental health concern that's relevant. And so we'll wait and see what the experts tell us before we jump to conclusions there. Um, now, Michael, we saw in all the television reports students running out, some with their hands up, some with their hands on the shoulders of the person in front of them, kind of like what we saw with Sandy Hook mm-hmm. Elementary School back in 2012. Can you help us understand 
what we were seeing there. Why did some students have their hands up, hands on shoulders, and some were just kind of running as fast as they could to evacuate? Can be part training that some students uh, were trained at some point, uh, where others were not. Can be even people who go through training in a panic situation like that, um, unless you're practicing that training on an ongoing basis, on a regular basis, um, people don't always uh, heed to the training that they have received. Um, the, again, the, these situations are very, very challenging for the average individual that um, probably never expects to be into that situation. So when you don't practice the training or have not received the proper training, uh, that's why sometimes we see these inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. but clearly, some of the students, to your point, Dr. Peggy, did the right thing. They were running out. The reason that you want to put your hands up, you want to come out with your hands up, palms open, so law enforcement can see your hands. Mm -hmm. um, they don't know. Again, these, these situations are very chaotic. They do not always know who the attacker is. Uh, and in their mind, it could be anybody. So when you come out, you should always have your hands up, open palms, nothing in your hands, keep your cell phones uh, in your pockets, whatever, uh, but have no objects in your hands. Mm -hmm. And the early reports said the assailant ac actually left the, the school building, um, escaping with everyone else before he was apprehended. And so all the more um, reason why we definitely want to be able to um, show law enforcement that we don't have a weapon in our hands. That's right. He was very familiar with the school. Again, he was only a few months removed uh, from that school as a student, so he knew he knew their procedures. Uh, he knew to how to kind of blend in. Uh, there were reports that he was baiting students, meaning he was yelling through the door, "Hey, come out here! Come out to the hallway!" Um, I read a, one report that a student actually opened the door and he fired a shot at that student. Uh, so again, we go back to the training. Um, you never want to open the door into harm's way. Um, but again, we're talking about students that may or may, not, may or may not have received adequate, appropriate training in a very, very high-stress uh, situation. Mm -hmm. Now, Michael, no, no two instances are alike, even though we can see some parallels between other school shootings and campus shootings. Uh, every situation is unique, and any one situation evolves very quickly. It may start out uh, in one fashion and then very quickly evolve into something else. So when you're talking about um, the right kind of training, how do we prepare for that uh, unique situation that may evolve very quickly multiple times over the course of the incident playing out? Mm -hmm. Great question, Dr. Peggy. And I really do think it's time that we change up the narrative. And we talk about things, as you just asked, uh, what can we do and what does proper training look like? So proper training needs to be evidence-based. It needs to focus on the core causes of active shooter or other violent events. Uh, we say shooter kind of generically, and of course there was a weapon involved this time, um, but there, there have been similar attacks where knives have been used or another form of a weapon. Or even vehicles. So, or even vehicles, mm -hmm. absolutely. So you want to make sure that the training is following security industry best practices that have been tried and true and proven and have saved people's lives in various environments. Um, and that's, that's very, very important that we're not practicing something that sounds cool, that sounds like it may work, um, but there's no proof of concept behind it. So we really want to make sure that training involves that. That the training is, in fact, to your point, specialized 
to that individual school. No two mm. facilities are alike. So there's a lot of it's easy to want to get an off the shelf program, but yeah, I need you guys here tomorrow and, and, and teach me three things I need to do so we'll be safe. But candidly, it doesn't work that way. So teachers and employees and students have to be empowered with options so they can select the best option for that particular moment in time mm-hmm. because every incident is different. And even within that, in, even within that single incident, uh, some people may have the opportunity to evacuate uh, to a safe place. Many may not have that opportunity. So what do these individuals do? Mm-hmm. Most likely they will lock down. Do they understand or have the proper equipment to do a effective lockdown? Do they know to be quiet after they lock down? I, I saw reports kids are taking videos and sending them to the parents saying, mm-hmm. we're okay, mommy, we're okay, daddy, uh, which is normal. But were they taught to silence the phone? So when the parent texts them back, uh, the phone's not going off. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, the attackers in a lockdown situation, they are listening for sounds to find out where people may be hiding. So it's a bunch of different things working together. Um, and I would add to that, in addition to the quality of the training curriculum, it truly does matter the qualifications and credentials of the instructional team. Not everybody can teach this life-critical topic. It really needs to be true professionals who have a high functional knowledge in their respective space who also have professional teaching and training skill sets so that the people can learn effectively. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, you hear so often teachers and educators are saying, just tell us what to do. And they really, I think, do have that kind of check the box, give me three things I can do because, you know, they're scared. But really, the I think the point you're making is the right training, advanced training, uh, part of that training is making sure people understand there is no one right response. You have to be able to customize it to your, even your individual classroom at your individual school, and that as these situations evolve, you have to be trained and have to practice what you learn, how to respond in a flexible manner, depending on how the situation's evolving. That really is what the training entails. Absolutely right. And in addition to that content, the content needs to it must include the mental health component, behavioral component, threat indicators, not just, you know, we hear run, hide, fight. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that's not training. It's, it's baseline guidance with fight being a very controversial component of the three when it comes to schools. Um, I have seen some of the old narrative um, on various media outlets the past couple of days here, the, the past day and a half, I suppose, um, where, where people talking about, Throw furniture. Um, so you're asking a child, even an adult, to take a piece of furniture and throw it at a person with a weapon. It's just unrealistic. So it's important that the content be not only evidence-based, but also be diverse, including the mental, emotional, and social components, as well as traditional physical security mm-hmm. strategies. Thank you. And, and we also have to be mindful of... Um, Threats outside of the school, on the school property, at the bus stop, mm-hmm. on the playground. We've seen incidents like that. I have in the studio with me today Linda Bazogany, who's a licensed professional counselor here in Littleton, Colorado. And her daughter was at Deer Creek Middle School here in Littleton, Colorado, uh, eight years ago this month. And there was an assailant who came to the school while the children were leaving and boarding buses, similar to yesterday's attack. And the assailant began firing 
And so we need training also on how to be safe outside of the school, on school property. And certainly anything that you learn in a school-based training is portable. You can take those similar principles to your workplace or to an outdoor concert venue or to the, the, the mall. Um, really, we have to be trained in a holistic fashion, don't we? Without exception, there are internal threats, external threats. I talked about 95% of school shootings being committed by students. However, the scenarios you just described, uh, a playground, a bus driver incident, or a school bus incident, um, typically these are exterior threats perpetrated by people that are not students from outsiders. So school safety, make no mistake, is very complex. Uh, We have to prepare for various types of threats. We have to be on our game at all times. Um, And remember, the bad guy only has to get lucky once. doesn't have to even be good. He has to get lucky once where we have to be on our game 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important that schools, again, to your point, take a holistic approach when they're looking at safety and security initiatives. That's right. Well, Michael Yorio, thank you so much uh, for being with us today by phone from Florida, not far from the shooting. Uh, We appreciate your expertise and just uh, pray that you'll stay safe out there. Thank you, Dr. Peggy, and uh, everybody, please be safe out there. Thank you, Michael. Take care. Now, that was Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. Again, if you'd like to learn more about uh, the safety solutions that Michael was talking about and that evidence-based training, go to SSIGuardian.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Living Well with Dr. Pegg show. Uh, we're going to be going to a break here shortly. When we return, you'll hear from Linda Bazogany, licensed professional counselor. Her daughter, Jalen, was a student at Deer Creek Middle School Eight years ago this month, when an assailant began firing outside of the school as she was boarding the bus. Stay with us. We'll be back. I'm taking my freedom, pulling it off the shelf, putting it on the chain. Threats at our schools and workplace continue at an alarming rate and require an innovative approach to overall institutional safety. A 21st century safe school needs the right training, the right equipment, and the correct action plan to achieve a future-ready, safe learning environment. SSI Guardian's comprehensive, evidence-based solutions and Tier 1 security consulting is the only active shooter training in America with an accredited CEU. Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com. What if a psychologist with years of experience wrote a book revealing secrets that therapists know but usually don't share? And what if that book provided effective strategies for experiencing lasting change? That's exactly what you get with Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark's book, Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Celebrating 10 years in print, this self-help classic shares critical insights to help you understand and overcome the three common barriers to change, heal your emotional pain and emptiness, and strengthen your connection to your true self and others. In the easy-to-understand, down-to-earth style she's known for, Dr. Pegg clearly communicates fundamental principles and strategies for change and personal transformation. Read Do Something Different for a Change today and have a better tomorrow. Go to drpegradio.com slash books to purchase your copy today. 
Studies show that safety greatly impacts student learning and a teacher's ability to do what they do best. Be it broken furniture, a leaking roof, or more serious threat of violence, the 21st Century Safe School by School Specialty addresses school safety from the emotional, social, and physical perspective. Don't wait another moment. Call 877-878-5800 or visit SSIGuardian.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Living Well with Dr. Peg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. If you're feeling stuck and ready for change, I'd like to invite you to my March 4th uh, personal transformation retreat. We're marching 4th on March 3rd, Saturday, March 3rd, 2018 in Denver. If you want change in one or more areas of your life, join me for this one-of-a-kind small group retreat. March 3rd in Denver. Go to drpegonline.com slash retreat. Well, uh, we were talking about yesterday's tragic shooting at a Florida high school where 17 were killed and numerous injured. And my guest was Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, calling him from Southern Florida. If you want to share his interview with a friend or loved one, go to drpegradio.com for the program archives. We'll have that posted uh, shortly after the show goes off the air. Uh, we're also taking your calls today at 303-477-5600 if you'd like to join the conversation. And I've got with me live in the studio today, licensed professional counselor and a grief and trauma expert, Linda Bazogany. And Linda practices here in Colorado uh, in Littleton, which uh, sadly is um, the site of two school shootings. Uh, Columbine High School, which sadly is kind of synonymous with school shootings in 1999. And Deer Creek Middle School in 2010, both in, in Littleton. And uh, Linda, thanks so much for being with me back on the show again. Welcome to the program. Uh -huh. Thanks for having me back, Peg. Yeah. Nice to be here Under today. Under sad circumstances, yep. we had planned to have you come on the show weeks ago, coming on today, to talk about the 10th anniversary of the Valentine's Day shooting at Northern Illinois University. Mm -hmm. And um, on Valentine's Day yesterday, here we have yet another uh, tragic school shooting. Right. Yeah. And your daughter was on a bus. Yes, When a was. gunman came around the corner of the school, pulled a rifle out mm -hmm. and fired a uh, round into the air and shot a student. And um, he launched his attack as the kids were leaving school and boarding the school buses, similar to yesterday's Florida attack. Uh, can you share what happened um, eight years ago this month? Later this month will be the eight-year anniversary. And um, share your daughter Jalen's experience. She was there. Uh, yes, she was right there. And like you said, it was the end of the school day. The kids had exited the building and they were hanging around, you know, a little social time before yeah. leaving for the day. And she got on her bus and she no long, no sooner sat down mm. than she heard the boy behind her say, he's got a gun. Oh my. And uh, Jalen did, I did have opportunity to speak with her. Mm -hmm. um, and she's a college she's student now. now. This is eight years ago. She was right. a middle school student. She was 14. Yeah. Now she's 22. Mm. And some of these points we have not spoken about mm. in detail, just following her lead mostly. Yeah. But she did share with me <clears throat> that she heard this boy say he has a gun. Mm. And before she was able to um, scan what was going on, she heard a deafening gunshot. She mm. said that rang in my ears, a sound I had never heard before, never expected to hear in that way. Um, she said her mind shut down. And she kind of came to in flashes during that immediate period of time. She came to uh, consciousness, let's mm -hmm. say, uh, where she was on the ground of the bus, surrounded 
by her classmates doing the same thing, Mm. ducking for their lives. She came to again when the bus was moving and leaving away. And I didn't know this, Mm. but she said she looked back toward the school where there had previously been 200 kids hanging around, talking, socializing, but now was desolate except for one body lying on the Mm. ground, surrounded by three adults. Um, She never heard the second gunshot go off, but that one injured her friend, Reagan. Mm. So Mm. uh, while she was on the floor of the bus is when I got a phone call from her. I was at um, a teaching uh, at campus, and she she was crying and shaking. Mm. And she said, "Um, there's a shooter at my school. And then very shortly after, she said the bus was moving and leaving. Mm. And I remember feeling stark relief, although I was not processing what was really going on, Mm -hmm. you know, because it is so unreal that it really is unreal. Um, So that that was what happened there. Mm -hmm. Um, Two students shot, one very seriously, nearly died. and then her friend Reagan mm. was shot also. So hit close to home, not just because it was her school, but her friend, which I never knew that. And knowing that, that this had happened to your daughter over the years that I've known you, I never knew her friend was one who was injured. Yes. Mm-hmm. She had just exited the school with her a few minutes mm-hmm. prior. So could have been your daughter as well. Oh, yeah. Very easily. Okay. So those are the words that a parent never wants to hear. You know, there's a, a shooter at my school. Right. And uh, as we saw in Florida yesterday, parents were receiving those phone calls right. and were receiving those text messages. And as our expert Michael Yorio pointed out earlier, um, all people should be trained to silence their phones during this type of um, violent attack because the assailant is listening for the phones. And yet we know... Kids and adults are going to pull out their phones and they're going to notify, sometimes before the school even notifies the parents. Kids are contacting parents. Uh, We saw yesterday um, parents waiting to hear from their children. Are they safe? Have they found my child alive or dead? Receiving text messages. Uh, One report I saw, the child texted her mom, in case I don't make it, I love you, and I appreciate everything you did for me. Mm -hmm. Now, you have some unique insight into Mm -hmm. what these parents must have been going through yesterday. Um, You went through it firsthand with your daughter. How traumatic is that? You said you kind of didn't quite register at all, and it seems like even your daughter kind of wasn't registering all of it. How, How traumatic is that for a parent? Well, what I didn't realize what was happening, and it happened to both my husband and I, mm-hmm. and as well as Jalen, obviously, on the bus, but what I didn't realize what was happening is a type of shock reaction mm-hmm. that I think it's important for people to realize that that's a, that's a real thing that happens, and it might inhibit your ability to <clears throat> respond to the needs of your child mm-hmm. or loved one. So I kind of got off the phone. I knew she was okay, right? And that was foremost in my mind. I was lucky that way. I knew she was leaving the school. I didn't know the situation with the gunman yet. Um, And then I proceeded to semi-wander around the campus building, Mm. trying to think what I should do. You were a professor, psychology professor at the time. Yes, and Mm -hmm. I had a class in a couple of Mm -hmm. hours. I was planning to stay there and teach class in Mm -hmm. a couple of hours. And I kind of wandered, ran into a co-worker, and I said, Mm -hmm. hey, my daughter was just in a school shooting. But the way I was saying it was a bit removed. Right. And she recognized this, and she said, and she noticed I was wandering Mm. a bit aimlessly. Mm. And she just kind of looked into my eyes and said, 
you need to go home. And then the bubble burst. And then I was like, of course, of course, that's what I need to do. But there was that period of disorientation Mm -hmm. and confusion. After uh, she got off the phone with me, Jalen also called my husband, Rob. Mm -hmm. And he had a similar reaction. Mm -hmm. He was not registering. And he said, well, okay, honey, I'm in a meeting. So Mm -hmm. I'll just touch base with you after. You know, same thing, not really realizing I need to comfort her and then I need to come Mm -hmm. immediately home. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, 2010, we hadn't had quite so many of these uh, tragic events to kind of have the playbook (laughs) on what's going to happen. Because let's talk about uh, that reunification process. Mm -hmm. So your daughter was on a bus Mm -hmm. and I don't know if the bus driver just went their regular route and dropped her off. But there were all these other students at the school Mm -hmm. who may have just run and scattered. And Mm -hmm. similarly, we saw in, you know, in the in the television coverage yesterday of the children, some going out in a very orderly fashion, some running for their lives under, um, you know, um, protection uh, cover by the by law enforcement had their weapons out to to kind of cover and protect them in case someone was still out there shooting. Uh And so they had a reunification site as as we always understand happens after these uh, incidents. And so can you can you talk about that at all in terms of uh, how, what did, was your daughter dropped home at her regular bus stop? What about all the other students? Where did they go? How did that work? You know, that's funny that you bring that up. Yes, my daughter was taken home. They got away from the site and they took the kids home as usual. Um, but for those parents, like you said, who didn't know, I, right now I honestly can't remember if there was a designated spot for mm-hmm. parents and kids to reunite. I do remember during Columbine, Uh, My kids were toddlers at that time, Mm -hmm. but I do remember that they had uh, the elementary school nearby as a place to uh, reunite. Mm -hmm. I also remember complete chaos Mm -hmm. as parents tried to drive to find their children anywhere near the school that they could get. Same thing here. There was just, I was out on the road Mm -hmm. going to work that day to do psych assessments in the emergency room. And I was, I knew what was going on, but I was aware of people on the highway swerving. It was, it was very chaotic, even with a spot to reunite. Mm -hmm. And I just really couldn't get out of my mind. The parents who were left there having to watch, uh, you know, their uh, other kids other, being yes. reunited mm-hmm. and the wondering is my and child stark coming. Yeah. Yes. And then there are those parents, and I'm sure it was the same situation yesterday, who were just left waiting mm-hmm. and waiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm speaking with Linda Bazogany. She's a licensed professional counselor here in Colorado, Littleton, Colorado, and her daughter, Jalen fortunately survived a, a similar type of attack as we saw yesterday in Florida. Um, at Deer Creek Middle School in Littleton, Colorado, back in 2010, February 23rd, almost an eight-year anniversary. And so, Linda, as, as someone with a professional background, mental health um, background, licensed professional counselor working in a you know, psychiatric facility, um, uh, psychology professor at a college, uh, you have some professional expertise <laughs> in these kinds of issues, but um, do, does that make it better or worse when your own child is in a, a trauma? Um, what what things do you look for? What things did you see kind of 
you were in a daze immediately. I'm throwing a lot of questions at you. You were in a daze immediately, um, but at some point, I'm sure, you know, it kind of kicked in that this is what's happening. And so what, what are we looking for as parents when we have children coming home from this type of tragedy Mm -hmm. and even, even a lockdown where sometimes in a community surrounding a school, Mm -hmm. there's a gunman or there's some situation and the school goes on lockdown. Everyone is okay. They actually weren't in any danger, um, but they can still be traumatized by that. What do we look for? Did you see any signs in your daughter? So in the immediate aftermath, um, there's nothing about being in the profession that protects you from feeling the typical mm-hmm. expected things. Yeah. You know, um, it's deeply sad that youth, that youth are killed, mm-hmm. and oftentimes by other youth. Mm-hmm. It's just unfathomable. But in the immediate moment, what's really helpful um, is the basic human connection mm-hmm. is going to be the most immediately healing thing. So gather together, Mm -hmm. gather close, gather physically close, Mm -hmm. hold a hand, Uh, put put a hand on a shoulder of another parent, that basic human contact Mm -hmm. can't be underestimated. When you are feeling that emotional comfort, assurance of safety, Mm -hmm. um, I know again, for my husband and I, we were so relieved that this was the outcome for our daughter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe short-sighted, maybe selfish, Mm -hmm. but we were so, we felt okay. We felt okay that that day and that night. Um, Listen to your your child as much as possible, non-judgmentally, knowing that you might have your own reactions in this situation Mm -hmm. too, but try to just take them at face value and what they're going through, observe them, for changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, uh, these were older uh, students, high school yesterday. students. And yeah. so certainly I'm sure there's a difference between elementary. I had uh, Michelle Gay mm-hmm. on my program back in December. Um, we talked about the five-year anniversary of Sandy Hook. And um, she lost her elementary school daughter, Josephine, who also was a special needs uh, student. And so thinking about how to help a elementary school student process or a middle school student process what's just happened versus these teenagers, older, older uh, uh, teens and young adults, Mm -hmm. um, almost young adults, high school students, there's probably a different kind of um, processing because they have more verbal skills, more kind of life skills and awareness of of themselves. Correct. Exactly. Each developmental stage is different in Mm -hmm. how you might approach it. So, for example, middle school, you're going to get a lot of back and forth. You're going to get a day that they, an hour that they really, really need you Mm -hmm. and maybe revert to childlike ways of interacting Mm -hmm. with you. And then the next minute, you might get the attitude of, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm fine. You know, that kind of back and forth dependency, Mm -hmm. independence kinds kinds of things. But you're right. People process these events in a different way at each stage mm-hmm. of, the, of the life cycle. Yeah. Well, we know human beings are resilient, right? And um, not everyone who's exposed to a traumatic experience will develop no. PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Correct. Some will be fine. Uh, some will sh- maybe show some signs initially that they've been through a 
trauma, and that's human, that, you know, that's normal human behavior to actually react and maybe go through shock or some other kinds of emotions, and they'll still be okay. Correct. <laughs> Eventually, those, yeah, those, that trauma response that's understandable will dissipate. Um, so how do we know that someone is not okay? They're not going to be okay. They're not bouncing back. They're not showing resilience. Mm -hmm. What would be some of the signs that they have been traumatized mm -hmm. and possibly are at risk for developing PTSD? Mm -hmm. Well, there's many, and mm -hmm. it's going to be very individual, mm -hmm. but they can be grouped in, in categories, the symptoms of um, traumatic coping. Mm -hmm. And one of those, uh, very common, uh, especially initially, is the re-experiencing mm -hmm. of the trauma. So mm -hmm. in other words intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. about what just happened over and over right. replaying in your mind. So Images. some of the students in Florida who may have seen yes, uh, some yes. of their classmates, you know, killed or yes. blood coming out of their body mm -hmm. and their wounds, that might kind of have flashbacks replaying in their minds, might be difficult to, to shake. Intrude upon their psyche, mm -hmm. affect yeah. them in their sleep, mm. have nightmares, mm -hmm. um, and just not being able to stop thinking about that to conduct their regular mm -hmm. routine life. Um, another thing would be avoidance symptoms. That's very common with anxiety and fears and trauma. And we say all more do about this. that and avoid what? Uh, avoid any reminders mm. of what happened that day. So that can include going back to school, mm. obviously, mm -hmm. is going to be very difficult. I'm sure the school will be working with the students on that to assure safety and Community is actually good for most people to come back and mm -hmm. to resume routine and be with others who were who had just gone through it. Right. So that's but good. That's good to that, yes. resume your routine, and yet as soon as that possible. very routine may be one of those triggers. reminders and triggers. Yes, yeah. and so then fears can uh, avoidance can generalize too. Mm. So if you're scared to go back to the school, that can generalize to other public places mm. or. Um, crowds mm -hmm. you know so it can get very general so that you're avoiding all those things that can make you feel um emotionally reactive mm. because these feelings can be called right back up yeah yeah and uh so those are what things you want to look for hyper arousal e high emotional distress high emotional arousal in other words um easily sh sh sorry sweaty shaking mm. um, easily startled easily startled yeah, hyper, -startled hyper vigilance mm -hmm. always keeping an eye on mm -hmm. everything to an exaggerated degree making sure you're in a certain position in a room so that you know your exits and mm -hmm. how, how to get out that can those can be immediate signs and if if they're going on for more than a month or if they're more severe prior to that month mm. you definitely want to uh, seek some traumatic um, counseling. Okay, okay. So again, we, we know many human beings are resilient. Many of these students will be fine, even yes, though we they will, saw their, the horror on their faces. We mm -hmm. saw the crying, the tears, mm -hmm. the running, um, the terror, yeah. and yet they still, many of them will be fine. They will uh, be. They'll bounce back. Some may show some signs of having gone through a traumatic experience, and that's what any that human be being might, but that should dissipate. Uh, if we do see signs, if they don't dissipate or if they're extremely severe, yes. we should not hesitate to 
get some professional intervention for that that young person, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, sooner rather than later, I imagine, would be important. It is. Mm -hmm. The sooner, the better. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's talk about um, anniversary effects because we we saw yesterday was the Valentine's Day um, shooting uh, anniversary at Northern Illinois University. Uh, Five students, uh, five people were killed there, 17 injured before the assailant killed himself. Um, He was reported to have walked up and down the aisles of the uh, lecture hall where he bust through the door uh, directly in front of the stage where the professor had been lecturing, uh, firing at people as he went. He shot and killed himself before police reached the room. Uh, When people are killed and injured, as happened yesterday in Florida, and as I've described in the Northern Illinois University attack 10 years ago, um, there are also all of those uninjured survivors who may witness that attack. Um, we saw the look of horror on their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're talking about 10-year anniversaries and eight years for Deer, uh, uh, Deer Creek Middle School and five years for Sandy Hook. Um, talk about the anniversary effect because we're talking about signs and, uh, that you might be in distress immediately following. Mm-hmm. But years later, can we see those signs again? We only have about two minutes. Oh, this, um, yes, there is sometimes a very delayed effect Mm -hmm. triggered by something in the environment that nobody can control Mm -hmm. or predict. Mm -hmm. And there you are back in the situation again. Let me just tell you, according to the diagnostic uh, manual Mm -hmm. for psychological disorders, to be diagnosed with PTSD or to experience it, you do not have to have direct exposure Mm -hmm. to the situation. Mm -hmm. You can just feel the threat of death or serious injury or witness it Mm -hmm. or pertaining to parents learning that a relative has been exposed to a trauma Mm -hmm. can also be traumatizing for the person once removed and so we're seeing that and we'll we'll pick this up again after our break and uh, let you continue but we're seeing um, you know the you described kind of how you were in shock, you and your husband, mm-hmm. learning about the, the shooting at your daughter's middle school eight years ago. We saw the images on television yesterday of the parents, and so there could be that um, just observing and, and seeing that your own child almost was killed, yep. or knowing that one of your child's friends was killed could be enough to cause that um, response in yourself. yourself mm-hmm. that you need to be aware of yes, also, yes. that that might be what's going on with you. Yes. So we have delayed onset, we have anniversary effects, we have vicarious trauma where it happened to someone else and we witnessed it, and just so much um, catastrophic effects of these horrific incidents happening. I'm speaking with Linda Bazogany, and she's a licensed professional counselor here in Littleton, Colorado. We'll be back with Linda after these words from our sponsor. Stay with us. Don't go away. Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being 
well-being of every student, teacher, and school employee. From early childhood solutions to advanced training for teachers and administrators, the 21st Century Safe School is the most complete and comprehensive approach available to schools and universities. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the safest environment. Take action today by calling us at 877-878-5800 and learn more about this innovative approach at SSIGuardian.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different. Yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join me for a one-day, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP, do something different for a change, personal transformation retreat. Go to drpegradio.com retreat. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and I've been speaking with licensed professional counselor Linda Bazogany about the tragic shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. We're also talking about some anniversary effects. It was the 10-year anniversary of the Valentine's Day shooting at Northern Illinois University yesterday, as well as this month is eight years since Deer Creek Middle School in Littleton, Colorado, where Linda Bazogany's daughter, Jalen, was a student at the time. Um, Linda, before we delve into that, how can listeners um, get in touch with you? You're in private practice, and so if someone has experienced a trauma or uh, other issues that you deal with, um, how can listeners get in touch with you? Uh, Sure, yes. I do have a private therapy practice where I am dealing with a lot Mm. of traumatic situations for people. And so my email is very easy, buzzco, B-U-Z-C-O, at AOL.com. Okay. And uh, so people can reach me that way. I offer video sessions as well mm. as face-to-face, so anywhere around the country. Yeah, or even the world. <laughs> or even the world. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Linda, and we appreciate you sharing your expertise. We appreciate you sharing kind of a, uh, a personal insight into what it's like as a parent uh, to get the horrible news that there's been a, a shooting at your child's school. And we appreciate your daughter, Jalen, who shared in her own words through you mm-hmm. uh, her experience eight years ago this month when she was on the bus um, knowing that a friend of hers had been shot mm-hmm. and thankfully survived mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, sharing that news with you and your husband. So we, we thank both of you uh, for being so transparent today. Um, so, uh, again, um, let's talk about these anniversary effects, because mm-hmm. it's one thing for us to say, you know, it's five years since, um, since Sandy Hook, and um, uh, we've got 10 years since Northern Illinois University, eight years since Deer Creek Middle School. Uh, but on top of that, there's other traumatic events happening that may also kind of re-trigger and re-traumatize an old trauma. So talk about... Uh, anniversary effects and things we need to be on the lookout for, mindful of, especially for a parent dealing with a child or even a spouse dealing with with someone who's been traumatized? Definitely. I think the main thing is acknowledgement that Mm. the anniversary effects are real. Mm. So you don't even have to be aware of Mm. anniversary effects to be affected. Yes, you may not realize Mm. um, why you are having Mm. certain reactions or feel a way that you may have way in the past. Mm. Uh, 
And so it's very common, you know, the time of year can Mm. subtly remind you of an event, other events that occur, just like I've been affected Mm -hmm. by the Florida shooting, preparing for this show, Mm. talking about Jalen's experience eight years ago. Um, But it's good to that I'm that we are acknowledging it. There were a few years that went by in February that Jalen would say she's having a hard time. And we'd be like, why? What's going on? Like it just was another February day to us. We Mm -hmm. didn't always think about it. But what I've noticed is if you can get some conversation going uh, and commemorate, whether that's whether you need to be with other people in the community who are commemorating also. Mm -hmm. So for Jalen with her friends somehow or any kind of vigil that might be held in memorial, if that's what you need is community, Mm -hmm. that can be a real good thing. Yeah. In my, it can be done in a small way. You can talk to your friends. You can talk to your family. And what that's done for us is time changes the trauma, Mm -hmm. changes the story, uh, how you view the story for all members involved. So I was able to tell Jalen, I'm sorry I reacted the way I did on the phone. I realized I was in a bit of a shock. She does not remember. Okay. She does not remember that. But I thought that could really affect how... um, how I was able to help her. Was I able to help her when I'm in a shocked yeah, state myself? Yeah. And what she might have thought, my, man, mom didn't even bat an eye. She must not really care. But <laughs> right. uh, thankfully, she wasn't even aware of it herself. Right. But you can see and you can view things with that perspective of time that you can't, um, that changes mm-hmm. with each year. Mm-hmm. And it's really good to acknowledge because now she's off to college. No one knows about Deer right. Creek. Right. No one died. Yes. Right. That's one thing she said she struggled with is that people would say to her, but no one died. What's so hard about it? You know, I had Lisa Hamp on my program uh, some months ago, and she is a survivor from Virginia Tech. Wow. And she talked about everything that was done to memorialize those who perished and um, to support those who were injured and survived. But she was an physically uninjured survivor. Uh, but but the assailant was right outside their classroom door, pushing on the door, and they'd push it closed. And wow. bullets shooting through the door, but they were laying on the ground. Yes. So she was physically uninjured, yes. but did not come out emotionally, psychologically uninjured, but virtually was forgotten. She sure. and all of her you know cohort of survivors right. who didn't have any physical injuries. So that's a critical thing is. to not diminish what just happened. By saying, well, at least everyone, you know, no one was killed and Correct. you didn't get injured. Uh, and even to my point of um, all of these lockdowns happening, maybe weekly across the country, when no shooter actually uh, enters the school, but the school locks down because something's happening out in the community, mm-hmm. that's traumatic. Um, a mother is. told me recently about her uh, son texting, we're on lockdown, I think we're going to die. And it turned out nothing was happening at the school. Doesn't matter. And so he was traumatized nonetheless. So In those moments. It's so moments. important, yeah. So even at the time that these mm-hmm. incidents occur, important to recognize that, and, and just as much on the anniversaries. For sure. So easy to forget about them. It is easy easy to forget about mm-hmm. them. And for also, like you're mentioning, all these... Um, kind of forgotten survivors mm-hmm. that were in a serious yes. threat of danger. Yes. It only takes those moments yeah. 
for those uh, bodily reactions mm-hmm. to kind of be seared yes. in there. And there's some, there is some um, biology behind that, sure. neuro, neurobiology yes. behind that. It A is lot. seared in their memory. It is, and that's part of the therapy mm-hmm. is undoing that. But then they also feel, why am I feeling this way? Mm. I'm not hurt. I didn't lose any friends. Mm-hmm. I'm, I should be okay. So then they feel guilty. Yes which is actually part of post-trauma also, is guilt. Survivor guilt. Survivor guilt. And so then they think they should not be having any problems. Mm -hmm. But um, a a lot of different ways this can manifest. For Jalen, she did okay. Mm -hmm. She actually did okay all through high school. But guess what? Before she went back to her sophomore year of college, um, some fireworks went off right behind her, and she fell into a full-on post-trauma reaction. It's just a reaction you can't help, crying, shaking. Sign of the times, her friends who were with her recognized what was happening. I don't know if that's good or bad, but they were able to help her. But she immediately went back to school in San Diego, a thousand miles away Mm. where I couldn't keep an eye on her, and she struggled with severe anxiety. Mm -hmm. She began to have panic attacks. Um, and now I'm a thousand miles away and I really, it was hard to help her that way, even though I am in the field and I encouraged her what to do, it was really up to her how to handle it. Yes. And so her struggle occurred, her most severe struggle occurred seven years later. Right. Right. Away from home. Yes. And she's just now, um, getting through some treatment and improvement Mm -hmm. and regain of, uh, regaining her equilibrium mm-hmm. and so now it's the anniversary and it take takes on a different meaning we're mm-hmm. thinking about it more this year than maybe some of the years in her high school right because of the more recent uh, uh, triggering. struggles yeah and yes. you know it reminds me of um, a student I had many years ago who was a survivor of Columbine mm-hmm. and un- physically uninjured survivor. Mm-hmm. And you talked earlier about how those triggers can kind of generalize. And she said she had a tough time on rainy days and didn't really know why. Well, it turned out it's because those assailants wore trench coats. Oh. And somehow in her mind that got associated with rain. And right. so even hearing a forecast the night before that tomorrow is rain, would put her on edge, and she didn't understand why. Wow. And uh, I had several students who, uh, after um, uh, 9-11, they had been um, sexually assaulted in in their life previously, and a totally unrelated tragedy that Mm -hmm. they watched on television, Mm -hmm. planes crashing into towers, triggered that old trauma that was due to a sexual assault. So it really is important to recognize those connections that any previous trauma puts you at risk for future trauma, even if it's something unrelated, even if it's vicarious, even if it's looking at something Mm -hmm. on television. So all this news coverage that we're seeing of this horribly um, tragic shooting in Florida yesterday, we probably should be mindful about our exposure even to media coverage. Oh, you can feel it within yourself. Um, Mm. You know, if you're getting too much media, turn it off, get some Mm -hmm. perspective, go Mm -hmm. do the rest of your life. Um, It's not all about this moment in time. So give yourself the breaks, go outside, Mm -hmm. do things like that. I know some things help Jalen, if you you don't mind, I'd like to share one thing. Mm -hmm. She did try the medication route. 
Um, but every time she would go back in with her concerns that her anxiety or depression was increasing, they mm. just want to up the dose. Um, and so she, then she got into the psychotherapy, and she said that helped her tremendously. One other thing she did, the situation has to be right. She's a senior in college. Mm-hmm. She's off campus. She only has a couple of roommates. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got a dog. Okay, yes. <laughs> And I know you have, I know you can appreciate this story. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to just tell you her line very yeah, quickly. Yeah, sure, please. She said, she named her dog Athea, which is a goddess of, of healing and compassion. And she said, Athea, my five-month-old golden retriever, has helped me tremendously. I got her when she was a puppy. She was terrified of everything in the world. (laughs) When we would go out for a little walk around the block, I would have to repeatedly comfort her to any large noise. It would scare her to small things, like a person walking by is not dangerous. I realized through comforting her through these things, I became more aware that, yeah, maybe the world isn't so scary and I shouldn't be on alert all the time. Mm. She's taught me tremendous lessons so far and so many more to come. Oh, amen. Really well, you know, I wrote a book called Doggy yes. Tales. So yes. when I do a revised edition, we have you to bet. include that story you in bet. there. So those um, comfort uh, uh, animals, the assist, uh, animal-assisted therapy, uh-huh. all of that could be a valuable um, uh, intervention for someone who's dealing with trauma. And who loves animals. Mm-hmm. And it's very evidence-based and effective. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, I thank you so much, um, Linda Bazogany, for spending this time and again being so transparent not only with your perspective as a parent uh, but your your daughter being willing to share Jalen being willing to share her experiences and the journey over these eight years of the immediate aftermath and then uh, these anniversary effects and it's something that we all need to be educated about and aware of thanks so much for being with us definitely thank you so much Peg and again, listeners, uh, this is Living Well with Dr. Peg. We talk about mental health, wellness, and safety every Thursday on KLZ 560. And you can listen online at drpegradio.com. My guests this hour have been Michael Yorio and Linda Bazogany. And I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, reminding you to live well. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Peg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.